You're listening to Diplomatic Dispatch, brought to you by Idea Farm Malaysia. Get updates on our upcoming episodes and programs via our website at www.ideafar.gov.my or follow us on our social media at Ideafar Malaysia. Hello, welcome to the latest episode of Diplomatic Dispatch by the Institute of Diplomacy and Foreign Relations. I'm Haris Shawani Razali, and today we are pleased to have Mr. Nazaruddin Jaafar, who will be shedding light on Malaysia's foreign policy. Mr. Nazaruddin is the Deputy Director General at the Policy and Strategic Planning Division of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs Malaysia. We are grateful to have you here today on the Diplomatic Dispatch, Mr. Nazaruddin. Let's begin with the fundamentals. What are Malaysia's current main principles in foreign policy? and how are they implemented into action? First of all, thank you very much for having me. Uh, it is really a great honor for me to be part of this program. Back to your question, when we talk about Malaysia's foreign policy fundamentals, I think uh, we can't run away from looking at some of the key principles that has been guiding uh, Malaysia's foreign policy for many years. I dare to say since our independence. From the top of my head, I can safely say the principles like non-alignment, uh, peaceful settlement of disputes, respect for independence, sovereignty and territorial integrity of other countries, non-interference in the internal affairs of other countries, peaceful coexistence, respect for international law, as well as mutual benefits in relations. These are some of the basic fundamental principles that have been governing um, the conduct of Malaysia's foreign policy for many, many, many years. In addressing the question, how are they implemented into action? Perhaps what I can do is, uh, maybe I can choose like two or three uh, of the basic principles and try to illustrate it by making reference to specific examples, uh, real cases, basically. On peaceful settlement of disputes, as, you are, as we are all fully aware, we have some disputes with uh, some of our neighboring countries or maybe some other parties as well. And in pursuing Malaysia's foreign policy, we always opt for peaceful settlement of disputes. In this regard, what I mean by saying that is we always refer the matter to a third party, a credible third party, in this case, like uh, Batu Puteh, or Sipadan Ligitan, we referred the matter to ICJ and we, we accepted the decision. One of the cases was decided in our favour, of course, we, we welcomed that decision. Another one was not really in our favour, but we, we are working very closely with uh, our, one of our neighbouring countries uh, in making sure that the decision of ICJ could be uh, followed effectively in the interest of both countries. Another example that I can give is um, on peaceful settlement of disputes under this specific principle. Uh, various bilateral mechanisms that exist. Yeah, For instance, like we have annual consultation, we have joint commission uh, mechanism, and uh, with Singapore specifically, we have Malaysia-Singapore Joint Technical Committee to address issues uh, on, on reclamation, etc., etc., so we always use that mechanism. We don't resort to aggression, for instance, uh, to address uh, our, our concerns. So that's another example. And, and another way of, of uh, illustrating how we actually ascribe to this peaceful settlement of disputes uh, principle is how we play a very important role, a mediatory role uh, in Southern Philippines and, and Southern Thailand. And also our involvement, for instance, um, in various peacekeeping uh, operations. So this is a few examples that, that I could cite under just one principle, namely peaceful settlement of disputes. And then uh, respect for international law. This is another basic principle that we follow. And uh, this is also, as you're aware, in consonant with the preamble of the UN Charter, for instance, where we talk a lot about 
justice and respect for the obligations arising from treaties and other sources of international law. Uh, and we follow it as a member of the UN, for instance, we follow it strictly and we, we, we adhere to various mechanisms within the UN system, ICJ just now, tribunals, multilateral treaties, peacekeeping operations, et cetera, et cetera. So those are the basic principles of foreign policy and how they are implemented. I already quoted some examples to just illustrate my point. Thank you, Mr. Nazaruddin, uh, for a comprehensive overview of the uh, main principles of Malaysia's foreign policy. Now, moving on, you were instrumental in helping to produce the Focus in Continuity, a framework for Malaysia's foreign policy in a post-pandemic world. Could you tell us what that was like and what was the process that you went through? Uh, that, that is a very uh, interesting question. Um, yeah. I was very much involved. In fact, um, I was involved directly with the initiative to produce the first framework, I call it Framework 1.0, and the second framework, or Framework uh, 2.0. The one that you were referring to was basically Framework 2.0, and earlier on, back in 2018, there was another one, change in the continuity, and I call it as uh, Framework 1.0. And for the record, that was actually the first ever document uh, in, in writing that uh, details out uh, Malaysia's foreign policy as a whole. Because all along, I remember I've been confronted a lot by my colleagues, where can we find foreign policy? And it is very difficult for us to answer that question because you cannot find any document that says this is Malaysia's foreign policy. And I'm glad that uh, the government made the initiative to produce the two uh, frameworks, which I hope would guide the audience, people who have interest in, in foreign policy, to understand Malaysia's foreign, foreign policy better. Um, back to the question of my involvement. Uh, yeah, the task was given to the Department of Policy Planning and Coordination uh, to look into the matter but directly by uh, the foreign minister himself. And what happened was, uh, I remember during the drafting of uh, Framework 1.0, we were given only like some keywords, okay, some keywords in bullet forms, and we were tasked to basically elaborate that and then turn it to like a proper publication. And it was first done in Malay language. Then after the, the full text was done uh, in, in, in Malay language, and suddenly it was decided, let's do it in English. And we had to like translate it uh, to English. And it was all done in-house, internally, uh, by, by the team at, at Policy Planning. And I was, I was involved uh, directly myself. And then on Framework 2.0, it, it went one step further this time around, we had uh, the support from the Institute of, uh, from ISIS Malaysia, basically. There was a team, a solid team from ISIS Malaysia that joined, uh, that, that worked hand in hand with the Department of Policy Planning and Coordination at the Ministry, where we co-authored the document together. And, and, and I thought that was a brilliant um, collaboration because uh, for the first time, not only we got the perspective from uh, Track 1.0, but we also got the perspective from Track 1.5. So, we had to like, I know we, we quarrel, we argued a little bit here and there because of uh, slight differences here and there in terms of perspectives and uh, narratives, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, we agreed to disagree basically. And uh, we managed to produce the document, um, I would say within a short period of time, in, in less than two months, if I recall correctly. And the, the process was interesting because um, not internally, we, we managed to get uh, not just ISIS Malaysia to to assist us in giving uh, in, in co-authoring co the document, but uh, somehow the Consultative Council of Foreign Policy was also uh, consulted 
uh, and they give some views and we tried our level best to incorporate their views. And as you are aware, uh, when we talk about consultative council and foreign policy or CCFP in short, um, there, are, there were about 15 to 18 members uh, back then. And they, they represented various backgrounds, academics, NGOs, activists, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And, and as a result, you got diverse views uh, from, from them and that helped us greatly in, in producing something which I thought would do justice to the ministry and to, uh, to, to the audience, to, to the readers uh, on foreign policy, Malaysia's foreign policy as a whole. Okay, and you are with the Ministries, Planning and Strategic Policy Division. What does the division do? What responsibilities fall within the purview of the Strategic Planning and Policy Division? Oh, okay. Uh, I've been with the department, uh, Department of Policy Planning and Coordination, and there are two divisions under that department. One is Strategic Planning and Policy Division, and another one is Coordination and Implementation uh, Division. So I serve the former. And um, basically what we do there, we, we deal with a lot with uh, policy. But when, when I mention policy here, the, actually the, the, the name, the term can be quite misleading because as far as I'm concerned, everybody at Ministry of Foreign Affairs deals with policy. Because of this misconception, it has led to confusion. The moment they, 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 anybody sees any document with the word policy, they will refer to my department, my division straight away, which I, I thought that was not the right thing to do. But in general, what my division deals, we deal with policies at macro level. At macro level, that, that's why we produce documents like the strategic plan for the ministry, the framework. Yeah, uh, But at micro level, it will be dealt with by individual divisions or DAS, as we call them. Yeah, So I give you an example, the question whether to accede or not to accede, to ratify or not to ratify a particular international instrument, treaties, etc., etc., that's not decided by my division, my department, no. It will be dealt with by the division involved that deals with the issue. So uh, that is micro. But at macro level, strategic plan, the overall direction, etc., etc., that will be dealt with by my division. And um, on top of that, um, I did mention just now uh, about uh, consultative council. That is another interesting dimension of my work. Uh, we deal with this CCFP is actually is an advisory body to the minister, to, to serve the minister, basically, and then to provide and to, to offer advice on a number of issues of concern to, to Minister of Foreign Affairs. And I find that kind of engagement is really refreshing because it allows the ministry to hear, basically, the views from the ground, as far as I'm concerned. And then um, that is CCFP. On top of that, uh, the division also has to monitor the, the production of what we call as uh, economic dossier, where we deal with our embassies abroad, Malaysian, Malaysian diplomatic missions abroad. And they are, they are, they're supposed to submit on, regularly on quarterly basis to, to be specific reports on economic matters. And we have to like dissect and analyze and make good use of whatever information made available to us. I would describe those things as the core issues that the division has to deal with. And in addition to that, of course, there are some other smaller issues which will, uh, you know, uh, pops out every now and then. For instance, like um, the 12th Malaysia Plan and quite a number of uh, national data-related issues, initiatives spearheaded by uh, Ministry of Communication, uh, MAMPU, the, the central agency in charge of ICT, etc., etc. And uh, more recently, uh, we are also involved in the rationalization 
of Malaysia's diplomatic missions abroad, where this is where we have to like really put our brain and think deeply and thoroughly on how we assess the presence of Malaysia's uh, diplomatic missions abroad and the effectiveness of, of those missions and, and come up with our own specific proposal on how uh, Malaysia's uh, diplomatic could be better maneuvered in 21st century. So roughly that is what we deal with. And if I can also add, uh, maybe uh, every now and then uh, other ministries will be inviting us uh, to join their efforts, their internal efforts in coming up with certain papers for instance, like defense white paper that was done in 2020, if I recall correctly. And um, we were very much involved from day one until it was uh, it was adopted. And heated arguments, you know, differences in views, etc. But that is part of the process, I believe, where, where we give our, our views from our perspective and other ministries, other agencies uh, did the same. And, and uh, only then Minda will take all those views on board and come up with the final version. So that is basically, um, I would say, a snapshot on what I do as my routine job at the uh, policy planning uh, department. Okay, correct me if I'm wrong, but the strategic plan for the ministry 2021 to 2025 was also done under your purview. Please share with our listeners the objective, importance and highlights of this document. Well, um, you're, you're right in, in saying that, actually, because um, strategic plan is uh, one of the products that was produced by policy planning department uh, back in 2020 because the current strategic plan runs from 2021 until 2025. So by end of 2019, actually, uh, in the final quarter of 2019, we have started the process and, and uh, lots of internal consultations. Um, we had to deal with the central agency, MAMPU, which oversees the, the implementation of strategic plans not just by the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, but also by other uh, ministries and agencies. For the record, all ministries and agencies are required to produce uh, their own um, strategic plan because the importance of strategic plan is basically, it is like a Bible that guides the running of the ministry uh, in terms of the overall objectives, in terms of what needs to be done and uh, what are the focus areas for the ministry. But this is very, in very general. Uh, I did mention about framework uh, before this. Framework is a different initiative. It is supposed to complement strategic plan and uh, perhaps it can also be, it can be seen as a document that reflects the aspiration of the foreign minister of that particular period. Back to uh, strategic plan, uh, I would argue that uh, it is actually a living document that articulates uh, the ministry's uh, strategic trust, strategies, um, programs, and uh, initiatives that to be taken up by different uh, departments, by all departments, uh, departments and agencies at Wisma Putra, at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, 10 altogether, where each department or agency would have to come up with specific uh, initiative program, and this will be put together and will be seen in totality and will be assessed. And the process in coming up with a strategic plan, I would say uh, was consultative in nature, where all departments, agencies were involved. And in addition to that, we did also invite uh, the central agency, MAMPU, which oversees uh, the implementation of strategic plans within the system uh, to give their views and insights so that, that whatever is reflected in the, in the strategic plan would meet the minimum standard or would be realistic. And uh, I remember we were often reminded, please follow the SMART principle, specific, measurable, attainable, I forgot about R, yeah. Uh, realistic, realistic and time-bound. 
So uh, we were reminded uh, by Mampu to follow that SMART principle uh, strictly. And uh, it was a very interesting process. Uh, I think by third quarter of 2020, uh, we managed somehow to finalize the draft and it was adopted eventually in the final quarter. And starting from early 2021, uh, everybody has to follow whatever that is pronounced in the document. Thank you so much, Mr. Nazaruddin, for your time. This is Harris for Diplomatic Dispatch. Take care. Tune in for more episodes of the IDFR podcast, Diplomatic Dispatch. Thank you for listening.